Hey, animation lovers. Ever wonder what it's like to grow up in a big family? Find out on Nickelodeon's new podcast, Listen Out Loud, where 11-year-old Lincoln Loud and his 10 sisters will tell you. In each episode, one of the siblings takes the mic to give you the scoop on things most important to him or her, whether it's Lenny's tour of the mall, Lori's retelling of her first date with Bobby, or Lola's juicy house gossip. We are so excited about this podcast that we want to share it with you. So stick around after the credits to hear the very first episode of Listen Out Loud. Then subscribe on Apple Podcasts or find it at nick.com, on YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nick, 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 Nickelodeon. From Nickelodeon Studios in Burbank, California, this is the Nickelodeon Animation Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Hector Navarro, and we have got a fantastic episode for you today. Let's go all the way back to August 14th, 2000. Dora the Explorer premiered on Nickelodeon and instantly became the number one preschool show on commercial television. On top of that, Dora's been honored with awards, including the Peabody, NAACP, Alma, Imogen, Latino Spirit, Gracie Allen, Parents' Choice Award, Television Critics Association Award, and 16 Daytime Emmy nominations. Dora the Explorer eventually spun off into Go Diego Go and Dora and Friends into the city. And with us today, we have got the co-creator and executive producer of Dora the Explorer, Valerie Walsh Valdez. so much for doing this. This is fantastic. We're so, so excited to be able to talk to you and and we heard that you're excited and that's just great. They lied. I really <laughs> am not excited at all. I was like, oh gosh, I really? knew it. Talk about me. Okay. I knew it. You you preschool <laughs> show people, that's you're all two-faced. That's right. All the, you know, that's, you would think they'd be the nicest. No, no, no. They're the meanest. Cutthroat. Yes. <laughs> Before we start, Valerie, I so, so appreciate and I want to thank you for creating a character in a show that has become so important and loved by the Latino community. Well, I will accept the thanks, but it's really (laughs) not deserved because there is, of course, a whole story behind how that happened. She was not going to be Latina. And our boss at the time went to a conference down at the University of Pennsylvania, and they were talking about the portrayal of Latinos on TV and how it was just dismal. And um, so she came back, and she's like, you know, can you think about this? And we thought about it, and we thought, well, it's a genius idea, but none of us are, you know, from that background. So this is going to be really tricky to navigate. But All of us sort of had a very, so Chris Gifford, Eric Wiener, and myself, we were creating this together. We had come up with the pilot already. We had the character. We had the the world figured out and the friends and stuff. And then to put this into the mix was a little bit like starting over again because it was like, well, what does this mean for her? And I think that like one of the great, legacies of her is going to be that piece. And like I said, I can't really take all the credit for it (laughs) because it was, you know, just can you do this? Yeah, we think we can, but how to do it the right way was really, really tough. 
the months that we spent finding advisors, finding writers, just, just finding people who could help us shape the show to include that was absolutely worth it because at the end of the day, when people think of Dora, they think of this Latina heroine. Absolutely. The advisors that you guys got absolutely made a difference, that, you, that it was so great to see a character who the show wasn't about her being a Latina character. It wasn't baked into the premise, right? But there was this fantastic celebration of she's multicultural. There, she knows another language. What a cool thing to know another language. And I think audiences picked up on that. Yeah, I mean, I'm so grateful that we were able to figure out a way <laughs> to put it in because it really did have this lasting effect. And there have been um, other people that I've spoken to who said, you know, that was such a big deal to me. I did a talk at my kid's school and some of the kids were like, it was so cool to have somebody like that. And <laughs> some of these kids, they're not even Latino themselves, but they're, they took Spanish. That was their first introduction to another language. So just having that, your mind open to it, and then it's a positive thing, and it's not a negative thing, and times are different now, but I, I still think, like, you get into those to the hearts and minds of those little kids, mm -hmm. they will accept it. If you can tell a good story and have a really great character that they connect with, stuff like that isn't even up for debate. It's like, I want to learn Spanish, too. What were some of the things uh, that you loved growing up? What were some of the TV shows that you were really drawn to? So I wasn't actually a big animation fan. Um, one of my favorite shows was Wonder Woman. And that kind of storytelling really interested me. And I think that there were some other like gag-driven um, cartoons that just didn't appeal that much to me. I was a very big reader and I like to put on plays and stuff like that. But I wasn't an artist, so I didn't even have that natural inclination to gravitate towards that. Actually, I remember in high school, my best friend brought me over and her brother was drawing comic strips. They were amazing. And it just kind of blew my mind. I was like, I didn't know people even did this. Like, I didn't even know that was <laughs> possible. I never thought about how... We made cartoons. So actually, it was sort of funny that we ended up making Dora Animated because she didn't start off that way. And I think it's because I was not from that world. Chris wasn't from that world. And um, our writer was, he'll write anything. He, yeah. He'll say he was from that world. <laughs> um, but he wasn't even from that world. There were a lot of live action um, preschool shows at that time. So it wasn't a given that you had that background. How did you get into working on preschool shows? Well, I really needed a job, so that was <laughs> one way. But I had I thought I was going to be a teacher and I had gone to school, um, to grad school actually for education. And while I was there, I started hearing about educational technology and um, you know, C D ROMs were very big at that time. It was like such a huge breakthrough, like, oh, so you could tell the rabbit and the hare story, but actually stop it and choose your own direction and stuff like that. So that was really, really interesting to me. And also my dad was a teacher and he used to say that TV is the greatest teacher of all. Yeah. Because you're just reaching so many people and the potential is so great. So while I'm at grad school and I'm thinking about teaching, I'm also helping out friends on their um, videos and films because I was at NYU mm. and I just really loved it. I was like, this 
this, if we could bring these things together, <laughs> would be really great. The other thing that sort of pushed me in that direction was I was an avid babysitter, starting from when I was about 11 years old, probably until I was 30. Um, so financing my schooling at NYU entailed a lot of babysitting. And one of the great things about that was it it's different from completely different from parenting, but it really put you me on the level of the kid and to sort of see the world through the kid's point of view and a lot of that dramatic play was very evident. Yeah. Like at three years old and four years old, the fantasy could just pull those kids in and I just love that. So even though that wasn't directly related to a career path, it certainly fed into it. And then, um, while I was still in grad school, I got an internship at NIC in New York in their um, acquisitions department. And that was essentially just studying TV. They would put me in a room and they'd say, some company wants to sell us this TV show, watch a few episodes, and then write up coverage. And so doing that like three times a week, day after day. I mean, it really honed my sensibilities and it really made me distinguish between kid TV that's for older kids, mm. kid TV that's specifically for preschool. So that was a really great learning ground. I had no money at that time and I remember I used to come with a quarter every day because there was an M&M machine and I'd like wait until one o'clock and then I'd go get my M&Ms and I'm like, yes, I can go another three hours you know, watching really bad TV from all over the world. How did this show come together? When did you know that you were going to create this show and how did you guys land on this idea? Well, back in, I want to say, 1997, I was working at the network. I had two bosses, um, Janice Burgess, who went on to do The Backyardigans, and Chris Gifford. And our Big Boss came to us with an assignment. She said, we've got Blue's Clues on the air. It's a hit. Mm -hmm. And we haven't been able to come up with another one. And at the time, part of my job with Chris and Janice was working with outside creators, trying to develop shows with them. And I don't know how many times I had to give preschool 101 lessons to the people who came <laughs> to, through the door, because a lot of times these were either just artists or animators, but they didn't really know our audience, sure. or they had some wacky idea that they just assumed little kids like anything. So it was the time of Teletubbies, and so a lot of people just walked through with like the wackiest idea they could come sure. up with. So our boss at the time gave us the assignment and said, you know, come up with the next hit show. And that was pretty much it. So I went home and I came up with a few ideas. Chris went home, had a few ideas. Janice came in with a few ideas. And uh, Brown Johnson paired us up together. So I had had an idea for a show that was a treasure hunt show. Mm. And you would be going every day to find a treasure, and along the way, to get little clues, you would have to do a preschool game. And I kind of thought of it as a mix between Little Bear and Blue's Clues, so a story, but that had that play-along feel to it. Chris had an idea about a mommy and a baby bunny who would go out on a trip every day. So Brown brought us together and said, okay, you've got some ideas in both of these, start over. <laughs> and so we just hammered away for about six months working on, you know, all the different 
ideas did we want a mom no forget the mom do we want it to be a bunny oh let's could we make it a little girl maybe we can use motion capture because at the time we weren't thinking animation and it would be too hard to work with kids um so maybe we could have a motion capture character so we spent six months hammering away ideas hammering away ideas but it really was bringing the two germs that were there like the format of the show and then the idea of this character going off on you know sort of like a goal-driven mission together and after about six months our boss said great 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 now you have to find a writer and chris and i were both like what we write and i had (laughs) done a lot of rewriting of other people's Uh, development work like they'd come in and I'd just take a script and I'd be like no preschooler knows what this means and so rewriting 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 Um, and I'd gone to school for it but still our boss was like no we're going to bring in a a very experienced writer and they brought in Eric Weiner and that was really great for us because after spending six months you know alone in the bunker trying to figure this out to have a third person come in and really just ask a lot of questions and stuff it kind of the project gelled at that point, and we wrote the pilot, and we were really, really excited. Brown came back with the idea, okay, let's make her Latina heroine. Mm. That was great. And then she also mentioned the possibility of doing it as an animated show. And the reason that that was so key for us was because it opened up Dora's world. So instead of her being confined to you know, a forest, if it was a live action set, we wouldn't be able to go to that many places. That really blew everything out. It was like, wow, she can go to the, you know, chocolate lake and she can go to, you know, faraway places. She can even go to the moon. So that was a big game changer for us. Um, By that time, you know, we had pretty much all the characters and the girl, um, the world in place Mm -hmm. and we needed somebody who was an animator since the three of us weren't (laughs) and um, Kathy Galliota who actually now heads preschool television um, she found this animator in the promo department who was an eccentric genius and if you're going to be eccentric you've got to be a genius because (laughs) why else are people going to want to work with you and that's exactly what this woman was and she, her name is Helena Utsek, and she came and she just, she'd been an animator for years. She just came up with the most adorable character designs. Yeah. And so it all took about one year. Dora was the first animated Latina character in a leading role. What was the response like for you guys to see the response from the Latino community. What was that like? It was overwhelming because we didn't expect them to embrace us so much because we weren't part of that community. Mm -hmm. And it became apparent very quickly just how much everyone appreciated the fact that we were able to put on TV somebody who really embodied all these amazing attributes was you know, a heroine was speaking Spanish and English and was beloved by everyone. And 
people identified with her. It didn't matter really what ethnicity you were. Sure. You thought you were Dora. And yeah. we heard that, you know, around the world. So the community was just amazing. And I think for us personally, a lot of times we felt like, well, you know, maybe we should send our consultants. Um, we have all these PhDs mm-hmm. who happen to be Latino. Maybe we should be sending them to the award shows instead of us. And, and you know, the Amahans, they're like, no, come, we want you to be part of this. We really want to embrace you. And that was just so, so overwhelming and unexpected. At what point, Valerie, did the name Dora come up? Was the character ever named anything else? And then where did the inspiration for Dora come from? Well, the character was named, I'm trying to think, she was named Tess at one point. She was named Nina for Nina's, we were thinking of this as almost the the look of it was a pop-up book. So Nina's pop-up puzzles was the name of the show at one point. But it was once we decided to make her Latina, you know, then we had to do a whole revision of, all right, well, what name would we want? Because one of our consultants said, you know, really you can get across her ethnicity in her language so that she's going to be bilingual, also her name. So we knew that the name was important. So we had a lot of names on the list and we kept coming back to Dora and there was really no specific person that we were looking to that (laughs) was Dora that we thought like, oh, we'll just take her name. But we did love that Exploradora. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm Dora. What's your name? What's your name? How old are you? Wow, that's big. Guess what? It's story time. Why did you guys create the character of Boots? You've got Dora. She's an explorer. She knows what she's going to go do. Why is why did Boots get created? Well, we use the hero's journey to inform a lot of our storytelling, and there's often the sidekick character. So we wanted to create um, somebody who would not compete with Dora to be the star, but we loved the idea of having this little brother mm-hmm. kind of look up to Dora. And he also was a stand-in for the audience because a lot of the times he's asking the questions that a three-year-old might be asking at the same time, like, Dora, why, you know, why do we have to go across the river? And so it gave us an opportunity to give the audience at home a voice. And and then just Chris and I feel, felt very strongly hugs and love. You want to have hugs and love. And with the two of them, Doran Boots, there's nothing better than they've done it at the end and they give each other a nice heartfelt hug. And I think that was one of the, you know, the secrets to the success of the show was just how they felt about each other. Absolutely, yeah. Why did you guys decide to have some of the uh, Tagalog characters be backpack and map? Why did those ideas sort of come to the forefront? Well, certainly because Dora was an explorer. It seemed remiss if she did not have a map and she did not know where she was going when she's (laughs) taking home all her lost friends to where they need to go. (laughs) So we had to have map. But the idea of making him this really funny character partly came from the actor because we had known Mark Wiener for a long time. In fact, he had come and pitched to me and Chris a hot dog show. 
Get It Wiener hot dog show. And he came into the office dressed in a suit that was a hot dog, like a walk around <laughs> hot dog. So anyway, we just loved this guy. And so when we were thinking about Matt, we just cracked up. We thought, Mark Wiener, it would be so funny. And it is amazing because if you look at what Matt says, it's very wrote, you know, like every show he's laying out the the journey. Um, but Mark gave it so much character and that song gave him a lot of character <laughs> and he just became bigger than what he really should have been. If there's a place you gotta go, I'm the one you need to know. I'm the map. I'm the map. I'm the map. If there's a place you gotta get, I can get you there, I bet. I'm the map. I'm the map. I'm the map. And then with backpack, you know, it we didn't have um we didn't know any kids that we were thinking of when we were trying to cast her. But we did love the idea of somebody who's got that husky voice who seems like a tomboy, like she could do anything. And yeah. it's funny because a lot of kids had no idea whether she was a boy or a girl. Mm-hmm. They just you know, thought it was like some some kind of creature. Yeah. <laughs> and um and I think over time, kids just fell in love with playing those games. Like in the beginning, our games were very simple. And then we made nine seasons of Dora. So, of course, (laughs) they did progress over that time. Dora, we have a surprise for you. You do? What? It's something that will help you carry your books to the library. Presentamos a backpack. Carry lots of stuff, mi amiga. (laughs) (laughs) Backpack, I'm going to take you with me wherever I go. One of my favorite things that you've said, Valerie, is that you have uh, uh, mentioned how it's so funny to see little kids and and preschoolers say, oh, man, just like Swiper. Uh, When (laughs) when did you guys, because you guys were deep in the trenches, you're working on the show. When did you know that the show was as big of a hit as it was? Well, we would go and pitch, essentially, our shows to kids in preschools. So once we had an outline, we would make a storybook of it and would go out into the preschools and read it to them. So we knew from that and also from animatic testing that the kids loved it. How do they react to an animatic? Is it a colored animatic? Is it black and white? Like, how do they respond to that? It's a black and white animatic, and usually it's not in the best shape because animatics tend to be a little sketchy and we do say it hasn't been colored yet but remember these kids color as part of their everyday experience so they're used to drawing (laughs) things with pencils with crayons so you say it hasn't been colored yet and they're okay with that but something chris and i used to always say is if it's a great story Mm -hmm. it almost doesn't matter you know, if it's sketchy or Mm -hmm. if it hasn't been colored or all those other things because what's going to hook them is the story. It's, you know, either got them or it doesn't have them. And what we would find is that when a story wasn't very compelling to little kids, that's when they would start to get restless and look away. And we used to put potato heads, Mr. Potato Heads, around the kids. So if they wanted to, they could choose to play with potato heads instead of watching the TV. And there's nothing worse than you seeing a, co- a kid <laughs> choose the potato head. Oh, no. And they're like, no, curses. But often that was because the story hadn't hooked them. Sure. Is it true that you guys would screen each episode 
75 kids per episode. Is that correct? Ah, let me see. Because we would first go out with the storybook, and we would see 30. Then we would go out with the animatic and probably see 30. And then final animation would probably do 10 or 20. So there were so many times that we could fix our mistakes. So that's great. I mean, most people don't get that opportunity where it's like, oh. And it's funny because we had been doing that for a while and Blue's Clues had done that and Sesame Street had done that. But you're right. It's not something that people expect. Like, oh my gosh, you're actually going and showing your show. And it's really, it, it gives me butterflies even today. Like after all these years, anytime you've written a show and you're going out there and you see these three and four year olds and you know they have the power in their hands to rip <laughs> apart your your story, <laughs> you actually get stage fright. You're you're nervous and you're like, oh, please like my show. Please like my show. But it is great because it does keep you true to the audience. And I think that's one of the differences with the preschool shows and the older kids shows because the older kids shows you're sense of humor is more sophisticated your sense of story is more sophisticated so you can kind of judge you know oh a kid would follow this but when you're dealing with these little little kids a lot of times you as a writer or a producer you forget just how young they are and that things might be going over their head or that things might be sticking with them and and they're either too scary or too edgy or whatever it is. So it is a really great thing to be able to go and check in with your audience and make sure that, you know, this is is appropriate for you. Were there any points in any of the research and any feedback where you guys would know not to change something because of a kid's group feedback? Or would you really literally take every single thing into account when you guys were getting that feedback? Oh, no. Of course, like sometimes we would go to a classroom and there's a kid having a meltdown. Sure. <laughs> and we haven't even started the show. So in the middle of the story, when he starts screaming, I want ice cream, you know, we, we discount that. Okay. Um, but if something comes up and it's not just one single kid, you know, a couple of kids bring up, I don't know what X is, you know, what are they talking about? I mean, then you have to take it pretty seriously because it's... I'm not writing this for me. I'm writing this for you. So if, you know, a group of kids are coming up with similar reactions, there are some things that we just, we didn't want to do and we did. And it was because of the kids. And one of them, I will tell you, is Boots (laughs) used to be a yellow monkey. Oh. And um, we character tested them. So we took out pictures of them and he was consistently had low appeal he was one of the ones with top appeal and our research director at the time thought a lot of that had to do with his design and his color and said you know come back with something new and we did and it did seem to make a big difference and it's funny because somebody had told us um you really can't have a yellow character they'll never be popular and of course SpongeBob is like <laughs> the biggest cartoon character in the world ever. Yeah. So I don't know where that person is now, but they gave us the same advice that they gave to SpongeBob. <laughs> Let's talk about Dora's cousin, Diego. What was the experience like for you guys to have it picked up? 
It was a little terrifying because I thought that um, I had worked so much that maybe I would have more than a two-week break. <laughs> But it was not meant to be. It was like, that was your breather. So now get right back to work. Actually, it was really awesome because... This show was going to have a very different um, makeup. We had a different head writer, mm. somebody that we found out in L.A., and we had more L.A.-based people working on it, writers. We thought of it as a completely new show. A lot of people said, oh, it's so similar to Dora. It's just like making you know, another season of Dora. And for us, it wasn't. It was like starting over. It was learning all this information about animals, which I still use today, I have to say. It has really paid off in my personal life that I know about. I have to say it was really exciting because it was something so new and so fresh. And in a way, after four big, big seasons of Dora, I needed something to recharge my you know, creative juices. I needed a totally different challenge. And that's what this, that's what Diego gave me because I really didn't know a lot about animals and uh, the rainforest that we used in Dora was a fantasy rainforest. And now we were talking about going into the real rainforest. And, and so we got to make trips down to other parts of Latin America. And we went to the Amazon. And, and it, was, it was great. So it was a great opportunity. But when the call first came in, I probably was terrified. Like, <laughs> no! <laughs> That's my cousin Diego. He helps his parents run the Animal Rescue Center. Way to go, Diego! Thanks, Dora! Roar! Roar! Diego is really cool! He can make animal noises and talk to wild animals! Whoa! I want to meet Diego! Sure, Boots! Do you want to meet my cousin Diego? Have you received any fan reaction from kids that have grown up with Dora or Diego where young people go, I want to be a, a, a zoologist when I grow up. I want to be a veterinarian. I want to do this. I want to do that. Has there been anything like that? There, there hasn't for Diego. For Dora, there has been more of that, I guess, because um, a lot of times girls are, they see themselves as, you know, they're explorers in their own world. Like they're able to, as opposed to, it's a very specific job being an animal rescuer. That's true, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, like she's inspired me to go traveling. She inspired me to learn another language and now I want to go work in another part of the world. And even if it's not focused on, say, Latin America, they've told me that that's one of the reasons they wanted to go study abroad in college is because of Dora. So those things, and also the um, audience is now becoming that age, that first wave of Dora, which would have been 2000. So now 17 years later, these are the kids that are in college or around that That's age. That's amazing. So it is, it's so amazing to me. <laughs> it's amazing also because it doesn't seem like that long a time. And then when you meet some of these fans and it's like, yes, when I was three years old and I'm looking at an adult. Yeah. You know, it's shocking <laughs> to me. I was like, it's amazing because I haven't changed at all. Yeah. But look at how you've changed. Um, so I have gotten some of that feedback and I've done talks around where I've had um, like middle schoolers come up to me and say, you know, nobody in my school wanted to take Spanish, but I kept taking it you know I did an after-school club or whatever and so that I know she's had an impact I think one of the bigger impacts though has been for kids who were 
in a home where they were speaking two languages and maybe they didn't want to speak that second language outside the home, that there was a pride in now knowing two languages. Absolutely. Because my husband, who's Cuban, and he came here as a kid... His parents didn't really learn um, fluent English, and he said he only spoke Spanish in the house, but outside, he would never really speak Spanish, you know? And it it wasn't a sense of, like, pride that he could—in fact, he took French in high school and Latin. And I'm like, I can't believe it. You could have had an easy A. Easy A. Valerie, can you talk to us a little bit about Dora and Friends into the city? What has it been like for you and all of your collaborators and storytellers to see Dora grow up a little bit and get a little bit older? It was hard to make Dora grow a little older. I have to be honest. Um, We did it because of some network pressure to, you know, try to play Dora in a new way. Before we did the series, we did an extra long version of an episode where we moved her to the city just to see how it would work and if kids would respond. And they did respond really well. But still, I think for us, you know, we always thought of Dora as sort of our kid. So just like any parent seeing a kid (laughs) grow up, that's not always the easiest transition for the kid or the parent. So that was a bit of a struggle. But, you know, again, like Diego, it was another challenge, like another creative challenge. And it really was good to make us break out of our box and think about things in a different way. And I think moving her from her magical rainforest into the city, into a school, having real human friends, all those things were a big departure for us. And it really made us stretch and grow. So it was worth the with the, you know, nail biting. <laughs> Have you thought about what Dora would be like, what Diego would be like as adults? Have you guys talked about what kind of a person she's going to grow up to be? Well, we thought a lot about that with Dora and friends because we kept thinking, like, who would she be at 11 or 12? And it's almost like saying, as a grown-up, like, would she be a community leader? Would she be, you know, out there trying to make the world a better place for her and her friends? She would be very cause-driven. Um, I don't know that I'd say she'd be a politician, but I think <laughs> she would be some kind of world leader. Let's leave it at that. Um, and, you know, Diego, I think of... Um, the Krat Brothers. Yeah, oh, totally. That would be him. He would be the most charismatic guy you could ever find. He'd probably have his, you know, his own show. Yeah. Without us, because yeah. now he's a grown up. <laughs> but that he would really be able to inspire people, grown ups, not just little kids, to care about conservation and and wildlife and stuff. Actually, I think. We need him right now. He's that seems like <laughs> come back, Diego. Come back. We need yes. him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Diego would be the next like Jeff Corwin or Jack Hanna for sure. He would be that guy who would be bringing on animals onto the Tonight Show and stuff, and have his own show. And that's absolutely. <laughs> and as as far as a politician, I would one hundred percent vote for President Marquez, Dora, President Dora Marquez. <laughs> yeah, I'd vote for her. Yeah, she knows what she's doing. People would ask her about her policies, and she'd just pull out the map like. Oh, Okay, well, let's go over it. (laughs) Got it right here. (laughs) Was there anything else that you wanted to uh, talk about before we sort of wrap up? Anything else that you wanted to touch on? Well, I am a little surprised you didn't bring up some of the other characters like Mm. Senor Tucan. 
I would be remiss in bringing up just how hugely popular Senor Tucan was. <laughs> and I'm saying that because my husband did that voice. <laughs> he would be really upset to know. He, that wasn't one of the questions that they asked. What about Senor Burro or Abuelo? Or, but one of the great things about this show was that Chris, Eric, and I, and Leslie, who I later married, would just sit around the table making ourselves laugh. Like, we had so much fun, and we would do our own read-throughs and our own funny voices, and Chris was an actor, and Leslie was an actor, and Eric was always taking acting lessons, um, <laughs> and we would just have so much fun. Like, the tears would roll down my cheeks, and, you know, that's what I would hope for everybody's experience. If they're going to get into kid TV, you know, just make sure that you realize it is really an amazing experience. Don't take it too, too seriously to the point where you forget you need to have the joy in you to be able to make something that's joyful for kids. Absolutely. Well said, Valerie. That was beautiful. That was great. You need to have the joy. It is clear that you've got the joy, Valerie. Thank you again for talking with us today and sharing all of your stories. And that was fantastic. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It was really nice to be included. There you have it, guys, our conversation with Valerie Walsh Valdez. Huge thanks to Valerie for coming on to the show and sharing some of her stories and, more importantly, sharing her joy. So huge thanks, Valerie. It was a pleasure. Guys, you're not going to want to miss an episode of the podcast, so please subscribe on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Visit us online at nickanimationpodcast.com for more episodes and tons of bonus content like cool behind-the-scenes stuff from Dora the Explorer. The listener comment of the week is from our our interview with Farnes Esnashari Sharmats, creator of Shimmer and Shine, and it comes from listener Studio Gaia, who says, I love when you are interviewing women of the animation industry. Please keep it up. Great episode. Inspirational. No kidding. Farnes is not only my inspiration, but she is my fitspiration as well. That reminds me, I gotta go to the gym. Thanks to the awesome crew who puts this podcast together. This podcast is produced by Jonathan Highlander, Dana Vasquez Eberhardt, Jamie Goss, and Andrew Hubner. Original music by Useful Creatures. This week's episode edited by Jonathan Highlander and Josh Caldwell. Our social media team is Narbe Manassians, Sammy Armiger, and David Watson. And Manny Gruhava is our engineer. And now, as promised, the first episode of Listen Out Loud. And I'm really, really excited to introduce the first ever episode of the Loud Family Podcast. Which we've named Listen Out Loud. Patent pending. Patent pending. Pod, pod, pod. It's gonna be so rockin'. And informative. And podcasty. Is that a word? And you better listen to it. What Lola means is we hope you'll listen to it. Don't put words in my mouth. Okay, guys, let's not get off track here. So, listeners, let me tell you what the Listen Out Loud podcast is all about. Oh, Lily, don't play with the mic. Here, why don't you play with this rattle? On second thought, why don't you play with your blankie? Your very silent blankie. Okay, where were we? In your room, Lincoln. Duh. Thank you, Lenny. I know. I was telling you about the podcast. Every episode, all of us will be hanging out with all of you. 
talking about the things we love the most, like what's new in the world of comic books, <coughs> our favorite sci-fi movies, <coughs> and <coughs> you guys. Who croaked and left you, boss Lincoln? I'm sure the audience doesn't want to hear about all that boring junk. They'd much rather hear about something exciting, like how I fed a fresh mouse to El Diablo today. Ew, Lana, gross. Better not have been one of my test subjects. Why don't we talk about something everyone can relate to, like vampires? Too creepy. I say we talk about fashion. Everyone can use a little help with their personal style. Not me. I rock these overalls every day, and I don't hear any complaints. Ugh, that's because you have wax in your ears. Wrong. That's my backup ABC gum. See? Ew! Siblings, while I'll allow that your suggestions have a certain naive charm, I propose we use this forum to discuss something of importance, such as the latest strides in genome mapping. Ooh, okay. I like talking about Geo. I said genome. When did we rename him? Excuse me, as the oldest, I think I should decide what this podcast is about. And I say it's love, dating, and relationships. The only things that really matter in life. Now, let's take a call, shall we? First of all, we're not doing that. Secondly, that's Lily's toy phone. Oh, <clears throat> whatever. We should make this a sports podcast. That's how you get butts in the seats. Forget that, dude. You want to reach the masses? You need to talk rock and roll. Ah, so predictable. We should talk about comedy. Right, I'm predictable. All of your ideas stink. What the people really want to hear about is princesses. Lame. <gasps> You're lame. Would you guys stop? You're literally being so immature right now. Lori's right. Why don't you kiss up to Lori some more, Lincoln? I'm not kissing up to her. I'm just trying to make this podcast work, okay? Why bother with this family? It's a lost cause. Totes. Maybe we should just forget about doing a podcast. Fine by me. Me too. Life is very short, and there's no time for fussing and fighting, my friends. Too much stress is really bad for my skin. I gotta take a leak anyway. Guys, come on! What are you doing? <sighs> well, I guess Listen Out Loud is officially canceled. Wish I hadn't spent that $30 applying for a patent. Good. They're all gone. Now I get to do my comedy podcast. You know, I once worked in an orange juice factory, but I got canned. I couldn't concentrate. <laughs> I'm very good friends with 25 letters of the alphabet. I don't know why. <laughs> Get it? Dudes, Luann's doing her own podcast. Oh, what? Not fair. She better not be talking about princesses, because that's my thing. Listen, if anyone should get to do their own show, it's me. <laughs> Guys, I think we just found the answer to our problem. Maybe we all need to take turns hosting the podcast. That way, we'll each get a chance to talk about the things we really care about. That's a very rational solution, Lincoln. You're like a young Immanuel Kant. What's that, Lisa? I can't hear you. I'll have to turn up the volume Immanually. Ah, <laughs> oh, come on. Lincoln's plan works for me, dudes. Great. So all we have to do now is figure out the order. I'll put the numbers 1 through 10 in this hat, and each of us will pull one out. Whoever gets number one will go first. Whoever gets number two will go second. Whoever gets three... We get it, Lincoln. We're not imbeciles. Ugh, really, Lincoln. Lori, you'll explain it to me later, right? 
Willie, don't chew on the numbers. Okay, everyone, pick one. Hey, look at that. I got number one. What? It's a fix. Yeah, how convenient, Lincoln. Grab it! You guys, quit it. I won fair and square. Man, you guys are like animals. I consider that a compliment. All right, just leave him alone. He gets to go first. Thank you, Lori. Well, ta-ta, everyone out. It's time for me to do my podcast. Okay, Lily, you can stay here as long as you're quiet. Here we go. <clears throat> hey, listeners, it's me, Lincoln Loud, hosting the very first episode of Listen Out Loud. And today, I'm super psyched to talk to you about... Kids, dinner! What? Dang it. Well, listeners, I gotta run, or Lynn will eat my dinner. Lincoln, do you want your roll? Hands off! Be sure to tune in for the next episode of Listen Out Loud, patent pending. Lily, would you like to do the honors? I never forget. <laughs> Bye-bye! <laughs>